The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's News Podcast here on Big Blue View Radio, part of your SB Nation family of podcasts. I'm your host, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View, and we're coming to you on Friday as your New York Giants get ready to face the Philadelphia Eagles in a Monday night football game at Lincoln Financial Field in Philly. Big news of the week, obviously. Eli Manning returning to the starting lineup for the New York Giants. Pat Shermer has still not officially said Manning will start, although he keeps saying it's very likely Manning will play. Very unlikely that Daniel Jones, who's in a walking boot with a high ankle sprain, will play. Pretty apparent at this point that uh, since Jones hasn't practiced and that the Giants have gone down this road, pretty apparent we'll see Eli Manning on Monday. And, you know, that's that's really what we have to talk about. I mean, I know that at this point in time, the, the Giants aren't making the playoffs. It's kind of weird, you know, that we're actually seeing the, the old guy, the veteran guy, come back rather than the young guy you know, coming in as, you know, as the season comes to an end. But I have to say, you know, I'm actually excited to see Eli play on Monday night. You know, I I understood, as, and as I've said at Big Blue View, I supported the idea that the Giants, you know, went to Daniel Jones, you know, when they were 0-2, when it became pretty apparent you know, that they really weren't going to be a playoff team. It didn't make sense, you know, playing as many youngsters as they were playing. It didn't make sense to be a building or rebuilding or whatever word you want to use team and be playing that 38-year-old quarterback who didn't really have a future with the Giants beyond this 2019 season. So I supported the move to Daniel Jones. And yet, I've always felt like Eli Manning is a guy who took too much blame, too much criticism for what went on around the New York Giants. He's been a guy over the last few years who hasn't really been able to lift the New York Giants. He's not one of those elite, elite quarterbacks. He's never really been that that top two or three in the league guy who could take you know, mediocre talent and make it better. He's always been a guy who 
has been able to take advantage of what's around him, give him time, give him receivers, you know, give him a good team around him and he'll know what to do with it. He'll be able to take advantage of it. He'll be able to have success. Unfortunately, you know, for me, the the Giants just haven't put enough around him over the past few years, but we've talked about all of that. You know, it really, let's just talk about Monday. I'm happy to see Eli play. I'm happy to see him get another opportunity. Really, you know, in, in a lot of ways, never thought we'd get to see Eli Manning play again. And it's no knock on Daniel Jones. I'm just happy to see Eli get an opportunity on Monday against the Eagles. And I hope he does well with it. And and if that opportunity lasts beyond Monday, then I hope that Eli continues to play well. I, I don't think that that whatever Eli does shouldn't cause some sort of, you know, should he or should he, should he. Pat Shermer, or should he not have gone to eat to uh, Daniel Jones? That was the right thing to do for the future of the Giants franchise. You know, but if Eli wants to play next year, maybe he can play a couple of solid games here that will show general managers and owners around the league that uh, if they feel like they have a team that's ready to win, that maybe Eli can give them a year. Maybe he can give them something like his brother did in Denver a few years back where while he was diminished in terms of his own capabilities, you know, he helped the Denver Broncos win a Super Bowl. That would be kind of a cool ending for Eli Manning. So, you know, whatever happens in the future, I'm hopeful that we see Eli Manning play well on Monday night. All right, Giants fans, what what I want to do now, uh, I had the opportunity to speak with Michael Kist, of SB Nation's Bleeding Green Nation. Always enjoy talking to Michael about the Eagles and about the NFL. So let's do this. Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Then I'll come back and we will play the interview that I did with Michael. Stay tuned. All right, Giants fans, I'm joined now by Michael Kist of SB Nation's Bleeding Green Nation as we look forward to the Monday night matchup between your New York Giants and the Philadelphia Eagles. Michael, always uh, always a pleasure to have you on. Always enjoy talking to you, so thanks for joining me today. Ed, it has been too long since we've had the chance to talk, and, I, and I'm really glad we, we're going to have the chance to do it a lot towards the end of the season here. How you doing, brother? I'm good. I'm good. And I just have to tell folks, you know, you and I spent a few minutes here before we before we came on air talking and, you know, talking to each other. And we had to stop before we wasted all the good stuff. (laughs) Yeah, we were talking about this Giants team, the way it's constructed, the philosophy, the coaching, whatnot. It was it was really good content. Hopefully we can replicate that for the uh, listeners as we work through this matchup. Well, we'll see what we can do. Hopefully, I didn't use up all my all my emotion and all my good <laughs> stuff while we were chatting off offline. Yeah. So, hey, let's let me start here. Uh, Monday night, we have something we didn't anticipate having on Monday night. We have a start by Eli Manning. Mm. So, so how do folks in Philly look look at that? Um, I know folks in New York are kind of I know. I'll speak for myself. I'm happy to see Eli get another opportunity to play. Mm. You know, I mean, I felt like the decision to go to Daniel Jones at the point in time when the Giants did, you know, was probably the right choice. But I'm happy to see Eli get an opportunity. 
I think that Eli's taken more blame over the years than he should have for what's going on with the Giants. But I'm just curious, you know, how you think that might impact Monday's game and, and, and if people in Philly, you know, care at all that it's Eli Manning instead of Daniel Jones. Yeah, I think it does change it. And I talked about this with Mark Schofield, who does work for you guys as well. And he's on BGN for the, the QB Sco show where we break down upcoming enemy enemy quarterbacks. Funny I'm not happy is, with Mark for that, by the way. <laughs> Why's that? <laughs> oh, going going over to you guys. I'm not happy about that. <laughs> Look. You know, Mark's got bills to pay, so I, <laughs> fortunately we're able to help him out with that and uh, able to talk about some high-level quarterback talking. And as doing such, you know, we recorded the initial show for this week before the news dropped that Eli was starting. So when we were talking about Daniel Jones, one of the things that we highlighted was the fact that, you know, Daniel Jones was better than we expected, but the faults kind of lined up with what the Eagles do really well. Daniel Jones is, I think, third slowest in time to throw in the NFL right now, and as such, along with his struggles along the offensive line, he's the top-pressured quarterback in the NFL. So that's part, part of that's on the quarterback, part of that's on the offensive line. I mean, he's a rookie. It's no big deal. Stronger signals in year two and year three, whatever, but we're not playing year two or year three Daniel Jones. We'd, we'd be playing rookie Daniel Jones. So that, along with his ball security issues, you know, lets you think that maybe the Eagles are going to be able to have Daniel hold on to the ball a little bit too long and then maybe get some strip sacks and get some key turnovers in the game that can really change the tide of the game. Eli Manning, on the other hand, when you're talking about playing him, you're talking about the, a guy that's going to get the ball out of his hands quicker. I call them a check down to check down quarterback. He's not a touchdown to check down quarterback anymore. He has a deflated arm and, you know, he's just going to be in there trying to survive for the most part. And he knows what the Eagles pass rush can do to him. So I think it changes the emphasis for the Eagles. I think it's going to allow them to play some more off cover three like they like to do off cover one with some man coverage mixed in. And it's going to allow them to come up and rally and tackle. So you're going to get some checkdowns to Barkley in the passing game early on. You're going to get some shorter depth of depth of targets. But what that emphasizes for the Eagles, and this has been a struggle for them, is tackling, especially in space. I think PFF has them graded as like a, a bottom third tackling team in the film bears that out as well. They have a lot of different players on that starting defense that have issues tackling. So it takes away the the amount of sacks and pressure I thought they would get as a defense for the Eagles and really puts the emphasis on tackling for the Eagles. Really not worried about the deep shots unless we have a redux of the 2017 34-29 shootout where they ran a bunch of double moves at the Eagles. I really can't see that happening in the year of our Lord 2019. Maybe it could, who knows, because Ryan Fitzpatrick just lit up the Eagles, but Ryan Fitzpatrick has no conscience whatsoever, and if he sees one-on-one, -on -one, he's going after it. I don't think Eli is that guy at this point in his career. So really, again, it just comes down to rallying and tackling for the Eagles. I did get a kick, by the way, out of the uh, out of the check down to check down headline when I read that. You know, it's like it's like I I saw that and I'm like, yeah, that's BGN. There we go. That's that's it. <laughs> but 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 I have to admit, I find it hilarious when people talk about Eli Manning and then they talk about Daniel Jones, because the complaint that we've seen over the last year or so with Eli Manning and there's. And there's some justification to it. The the uh, the complaint that we've seen is that he checks the ball down too quickly. Mm. And yet for the last 10 weeks, what you're hearing is, <laughs> well, 
Daniel Jones holds the ball too long and he never checks it down. <laughs> right. So now I, I think like, with whoa, Daniel Jones, what do you want? <laughs> I, 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 but, so there's there's balance to this, right? Because right. you got you kind of kind of have to if you're holding on to the ball a little bit longer, you want that to come with some deeper shots. I think the complaint with Jones can be number one. He's good at reading the first read. If the first read is in there, things kind of bog down for him. That's why he holds on to the ball. That was the same issue in college that he had. Obviously, he's going to have it as a rookie. And again, maybe that changes year two. Maybe that changes year three. That's all That's all fine. We're not going to make final judgments on a quarterback as a rookie. But I think part of the complaint is if you're going to hold, hold on to the ball longer – you have to take some deep shots. That, like, that has to be justified some way. Like Carson Wentz, we talk about him. Oh, he holds on to the ball too long, but that's the double-edged sword with him because he's going to make an amazing play downfield every now and then that's going to make you totally forget about that. Daniel Jones is towards the bottom of the league in deep ball frequency, only throwing it past 20 yards on about 10% of his attempts. So if he were to throw it the more downfield, you would probably hear less complaints about that, and I think that'll sort of sort itself out in the next couple of years for him. Right. And, you know, we're getting a little bit we're getting a little sidetracked with a lot yeah. of stuff on Daniel Jones. And that's OK. But, yep. you know, the the one thing I will say about Jones and, and I've said it and, and Mark actually studied this for us. I think a lot of his fumble issues, they're not necessarily, you know, a running backs fumble issues can be, you know, related to can be related to fundamentals. Mm-hmm. For me, his fumble issues are related to the stuff we've talked about in the pocket, holding mm-hmm. the ball too long, not getting it out when it needs to get out, maybe trying to extend a play a little bit too much, because we all know that quarterbacks are going to fumble when they get hit in the pocket. They've got yep. huge guys you know, hitting them as hard as they can hit them under the rules or or you know, flying past them at high rates of speed and swiping at the ball. So fumbles are going to happen. I think the fumble issue goes away largely the more he gets experience and the more he learns to manage the pocket better and 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 feel that pressure and, and get the ball out. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. The phrase that, that came to mind as you were speaking and you hit right on it was once the game speeds up for Jones, a lot of that will fix itself. And it's totally okay to say that Daniel Jones has a serious ball security issue and a fumbling problem. It is because those things are fixable. Again, he's just a rookie. Uh, however, that's what he is right now. So that's kind of what you have to prepare for. And that's the reality that you're living in. But like you said, if that process speeds up, he's not holding on to the ball as long and it minimizes the issues along the offensive line. And that thing just kind of hopefully sort of goes away. So I think there is hope there. While there is legitimate criticism, I don't think it's that big of a deal. We're only looking at year one. All right. So, you know, I did actually bring you on to talk about the Eagles. So <laughs> yeah. so let's so let's do a little bit of that anyway. I have mm-hmm. to ask you, you know, Philly at this point, five and seven, three straight losses, a team that I think is fifteen and fifteen since winning the Super Bowl, you know, two seasons ago. You know, I looked at that roster after the Eagles won the Super Bowl and I looked at all of the the cost controlled contracts that the Eagles seemed to have and and you know Doug Peterson and his coaching staff and the front office were kind of the, the envy of the league. And right now the picture doesn't look nearly as good in Philly. And the simple question is why? What happened here? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, the expectations, you had the same expectations as a lot of media had in Philly, and a lot of uh, national media had Philly as like a top three talented roster. It has been an abject failure. There, There's no way around that. I don't care that the Eagles are are in the hunt for the NFC East still, and it's still a very viable thing for them if they can beat Dallas. It's, it's still a failure, no matter how you look at it. And there was a lot of weird things that happened with the Eagles, and you can't put it all on health. I mean, health is obviously an issue. You bring in Deshaun Jackson, and you have this vision of what you often, what what you want the offense to be in your mind, and after week one, it completely changes on you. And they had some weird games too. Like I think we'd be talking about Carson Wentz in this in this team a lot differently if they don't have some really really key drops at the end of games. The Nelson Aguilar drop at the end of the uh, Atlanta game cost them a win, and then the very next week, J.J. Arthago Whiteside drops a touchdown that could have put the game away for them against Detroit. Dallas Goddard had a touchdown drop earlier in the game that cost them a, a four point swing. There are a lot of those little things early on. In the season where they had huge high leverage drops and the offense and offense wasn't clicking like you would expect the offense to do based on the preseason expectations for this team and there's a lot of reasons for it but ultimately i think carson once you know has played outside of the dallas game the two games with seattle and new england has played anywhere from solid to above average but he has had a couple of stinkers and there's there's no way around that and he's had problems you know this this mismatch of this wide receiver group that he's playing with, he's having a problem getting on the same page with them. So sometimes it's not always on Wentz because the guy's not where he's supposed to be, and that causes some issues with the offense. And they've kind of constricted what they are as an offense because they don't have that deep threat. Their backup deep threat to to Deshaun Jackson was Nelson Aguilar, who had a great 2017 as a, as a deep ball guy. He has completely regressed. There isn't a wide receiver on the, on the Eagles that hasn't taken a step back, which is, you know, the wide receiver coach is, is gone at the end of the season, by the way. So there's a lot of different factors into it. And then you have the defense that just tends to collapse in the most high leverage situations. You know, they're a decent third down defense. They're ranked 13th. But they're ranked, I think, 27th or 28th when it comes to getting stops on fourth down. They're 25th in the red zone where Jim Schwartz usually has a robust defense inside the 20. So they're failing in you know very, very important situations. They're getting boat raced in, in some games. Minnesota, I mean, Wentz had one throw before the Eagles were down 10 to nothing against Minnesota. That's a terrible situation to put your quarterback in, and that leads to him pressing and whatnot. So there's a whole lot of different things, man, and I think it comes down to offensive coordinator – isn't isn't you know what it was since Frank Reich left Jim Schwartz has tried to switch things up and I just think he's got the wrong idea of what a defensive philosophy should be in the year of 2019 very focused on stopping the run not focused enough on stopping the pass and that leaves his cornerbacks in some odd situations like we saw against Miami so I mean just like with the Giants it comes down to coaching and development you can draft really good players if you don't coach them up right, you don't have the right scheme, you don't develop them, it doesn't matter, man. It doesn't matter how talented your roster looks on paper. No, it doesn't. And that uh, it's funny because that sounds a lot like uh, like what we've been talking about here in, in New York for a while because I get a lot of questions about about Dave Gettleman and about the draft choices. And, and I studied it the other day. I studied you know the, the draft picks for the last two years, and I think – I can't point to one 2018 draft pick who's performed better for the Giants this year than last year. Mm-hmm. And aside, and I can't really point to any 2019 picks who I would say are significantly better 
now than they were week one. Mm-hmm. So, so it's and and that's frustrating to watch. I'm sure it's frustrating for you guys when you when you feel like when you feel like you have talent that isn't being maximized. Yeah, you look at the 2017 draft class for the Eagles, and Derek Barnett hasn't justified the 14th overall selection in the second round. They pick Sidney Jones. Sidney Jones right now is probably their seventh cornerback on the roster. Something's going on with him that I need explained on like a 30 for 30 or something because the kid's got talent, but since the Achilles, I mean, just mentally he hasn't been the same, and I think that's his issue. Third round, they take Rasul Douglas. He can't steal a job from a, a very bad Jalen Mills or get snaps over Ronald Darby, but both Darby and Mills got mocked. Lost about seven uh, combined times against the against the Dolphins last week. You look at 2018, and yeah, Dallas Goddard is a doggone good football player. Is he any better than he was as a rookie? I don't think so. He's still a good football player. I'm not mad at the pick, but has he taken that next step? I don't think so. You look at Avante Maddox, who was a fourth-round guy who wore a lot of hats for them last season, had a great season. This year, he has seriously regressed and is not playing well in the slot. So where where is the development? Because we drafted talented football players. They're just not being developed, and that's kind of created this storm for the Eagles that has led to some severe underperformance. All right, so I did want to circle back and ask you. We talked a little bit about Carson Wentz, but mm-hmm. I just wanted to ask you. You know, his I, I looked at his numbers the other day, and, and and the numbers for him aren't what they were a year ago. And you talked a little bit about the wide receivers and the offensive coordinator, and you know, and some of the drops and and all of that. But is he performing as well as you'd like to see him perform, or is there a little bit of concern about what Wentz actually is long-term? I think going into the Seattle game, the New England game, before those two games, I thought Wentz was playing you know, at the bottom part of a top-10-level quarterback. Now, a lot of the discussion around, you know, when you talk about a quarterback and people jump in your mentions on Twitter, they're like, he's not elite. He's not elite. Well, let me tell you, there is maybe one quarterback in the NFL right now that is playing elite at a week to week level. That, that That is Lamar Jackson. That is it. It is rare. It is hard to do. It is a supporting cast league. Uh, so I think that's where some of the struggles where Wentz comes in with the supporting cast. We talked about it. You know, he's got the highest percentage of deep ball drops in the league right now. And that's going to impact the way that your numbers look, along with having a more uh, constrained offense in what they can do. It's been very condensed with Deshaun Jackson out. That said, there are areas in which Carson Wentz absolutely has shown some some scattershot accuracy. I think has been an issue for him. It's always kind of been an issue for him. But when you don't have the deep ball success, which has been on or off for him, cold and hot for him all year, it really kind of magnifies the little things like short to intermediate accuracy. Uh, Wentz isn't really turning over the ball, which is great. But recently, the fumble issue has has popped back up. When he's pressing, he tends to hold on to the ball a little bit too long, waiting for things to happen. And that's when those fumble issues come. I think we need to see him throw the ball away a little bit more. So overall, well, I'm, I'm not really concerned with Wentz long term. I do think he can get in his head a little bit. And this guy has had to deal with, you know, on field and off field politics more than anybody else with Nick Foles coming in and winning a Super Bowl while he was injured and the dynamic that works around that. So there's a lot to deal with on his part. and I get it. I think the further away from Nick Foles you get and the more stable his wide receiver and you know tight end group gets as a whole, I think you're going to see a better Carson Wentz. And we've seen what the offense can be with a healthy Carson Wentz and healthy weapons and all that. So I'm not necessarily worried about that, but I don't know if it's fixable 
this year on the whole. All right. So last thing I want to ask you about, Michael, I saw a piece, I believe it might have hit this morning over on over on BGN. And really, it's about the uh, the state of the NFC East <laughs> and the state of the uh, what what used to be rivalries in the in the NFC East. And, you know, your your boss over there, Brandon, asked me earlier this week whether Giants fans cared that if the Eagles win Monday night, that the Eagles would would actually take the lead when it comes to the uh, the overall you know o- to overall wins in this rivalry because I think yeah. it's tied right now mm-hmm. and I don't think Giants fans care right now. <laughs> they got I, bigger I, problems. <laughs> they got bigger problems. But I mean, w- when when you look at this NFC East, I look at you know you guys rivalries with the Cowboys, rivalries with the Giants. I mean. Th- do do you find it sort of sort of sad the state of the division because I, I I can't find any really important games to play at this point. Yeah, I don't I don't think it should matter for uh, for the Giants at, at all. I mean, honestly, it, like a loss kind of helps. You you never want to see your team lose to a rival or anything like that as far as the Giants go. But any loss kind of helps your your future draft pick. You know there there are Eagles fans. They don't want the Eagles to go to the playoffs because they think the problems with the team are so massive that they need to have, you know, like a a 12th overall pick or something like that. So they can go get like a Henry Ruggs from Alabama or a CeeDee Lamb from from Oklahoma, the NFC East, man, just as a whole. It is. We saw it last night with the Cowboys. What the heck was that against Mitch Trubisky? I mean, this whole thing is a mess to the point where I'm thinking like. Should the NFL just step in and say there's three division winners and three wild cards? Because there's going to be an NFC East team that could have seven wins and go to the playoffs, and there could be a 10-win wild card team that's going to miss out on all that. Ed, this division uh, is, you know, is awful. It is. You know, it's funny because the Giants, I thought, made Mitch Trubisky look really good a couple of weeks ago. Mm. That was the first time that all season that the Bears had passed 300 yards in total offense. Yeah. And and the the way Mitch Trubisky played last night or the way that the Cowboys made Mitch Trubisky look last night actually yeah. I think made it look like the Giants did a good job. <laughs> and and even with Mitch having one of the worst interceptions of the season to in the in the beginning of the game he was able to he was really able to turn around and he, and he, and he made some really good throws and that Dallas defense for them was supposed to be a strength coming into the season that was supposed to help lift them up and you know the offense I think for the most part for the Cowboys has been pretty efficient and can be pretty explosive but with a defensive performance like that I mean the tackling was awful there, there were miscommunications there's just the pass rush wasn't there they've got so many issues and they're in the lead in the NFC East so that kind of tells you where we're at right now what we saw last night on television is in the lead in the NFC East it's it's abysmal man uh, mm-hmm. and I think Jason Garrett's future prospects as a head coach I mean if he doesn't beat the Eagles I think he's fired on the spot oh man and of and of course we're hearing the the Jason Garrett Giants talk, and, and and people are like, you know, they're running, they're running for the nearest bridge when they hear that talk. I think. I mean, he's got what? He's got six six seasons where, okay, so he's been there nine seasons. I think he has six seasons where he's had at least seven losses. I mean that 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 team has underperformed so badly. I mean, I think we may have overrated how talented the roster was, but at the same time, like Jason Garrett consistently underperforms expectations based on what we think that team should be. 
I would have to agree with that. Michael, it is always a pleasure talking to you. You know, we, we, we should we should find excuses to do this more yes. often because it's always yeah. fun. So, uh, hey, thank you very much, and uh, good luck on Monday night, although, you know, not, not too much luck, of course. But I uh, <laughs> hope, uh, hope you guys enjoy the game on Monday, and we'll talk to you again maybe in a couple of weeks when uh, Giants and Eagles do this again. Absolutely. I would love to. I love these uh, love these chats. And, you know, for your listeners, we're breaking down previews over at Bleeding Green Nation. Just put it into any podcast. You can hear us, you know, talk. Eh, look, nobody hates their own team more than their own fan base when things are going well. So if you want to hear some good trash talk and some detailed analysis, hit up Bleeding Green Nation on your podcast feed. And I appreciate you at giving me the uh, the time with you today. Always a pleasure. Thanks much. All right, folks, that's our show for today. We thank you, as always, for listening. We thank Michael Kist of SB Nation's Bleeding Green Nation for dropping some uh, Eagles knowledge on us. Always enjoy talking with uh, with Michael. We, As always, we thank you for listening. We thank you for your support of Big Blue View here on the podcast, on our website, on Instagram, on Twitter, where we just passed 25,000 followers uh, recently. So thank you, as always, for your support, Giants fans, and we will talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.